Uh, we're we're going to do a, we finished our series on Revelation. Um, if you weren't here for those seven messages, can I encourage you to get online, get onto our website and, and listen to the ones you haven't heard yet because that, that was just a really powerful series that, that we did over seven weeks with some really good stuff that we can take on board for ourselves and as a church, which is great. But leading into Christmas, we're going to do a little focus. Um, I'm going to invite Keith up now. Keith's going to kick us off with looking at the person of Joseph and then next week we'll look at Mary and then we land on Christmas Day where obviously we're looking at Jesus. So um, look, looking forward to this and I'm going to give this to Keith and I'm going to get the microstand for you. Um, um, but can I just pray with Keith um, as, he, as he prepares here. So Father God, I would thank you that, that you have a word for us and we've just discovered that over the last few weeks as we, as we looked at the churches in Revelation and what you could even be saying to us today and I, I, I know that you've got something for us this morning. So I pray that as Keith shares what you have placed on his heart, our hearts and our minds and our ears will be open to receive what you might want to say to us this morning. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, good morning. Thanks, Andrew. And I, I trust that this Christmas season for you is a time of joy. Uh, we're aware that for some people it's actually quite a difficult season, so we're aware of that. I think I can remember saying previously, I think I got the short straw. Joseph. Somebody else got Mary. <laughs> Mary would be much more prominent in the scripture than Joseph. But I've actually come now to see that uh, Joseph was an incredibly significant person in the upbringing of the Son of God and therefore a very significant person for us. That in fact, if we take notice of who Joseph was, then we will get some really good pictures, some glimpses into the nature of God how he works, and what he's looking for from us as disciples. Joseph isn't mentioned very often in the New Testament. Of course, we're not talking about the Joseph of the coat of many colours, the Old Testament. We're talking about, inverted commas, the father of Jesus. Inverted commas because there is a virgin birth. I want to read just one sec segment from Matthew chapter 1 which sets the scene for really the introduction of Joseph into his role. I'm reading from verse 18 of Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he'd considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife 
because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfil what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Joseph, I want to share with you, was actually a very humble man. Joseph mainly stayed in the background. After the time in the temple uh, when Jesus was 12 years of age, we basically don't hear any more of Joseph. And in Mark chapter 6, uh, when the gospel writer is referring to the family and the fact that um, Jesus was back in Nazareth and the fact that his siblings went to hear him, it talks about Jesus as the son of Mary, which is quite unusual. Normally, in a patriarchal society, you would refer to the son of the, of the male. So many people, and uh, one of the people I've read is William Barclay in his daily Bible studies, they published middle of last century, suggests that in actual fact, uh, Joseph died when Jesus was relatively young. We know that there were at least six other, in inverted commas, siblings of Jesus, four brothers, and it just says sisters, so we don't know how many sisters. Uh, so Jesus was the firstborn in a nuclear family of at least eight people. Joseph was in the line of David the king, so he was the son of a king, but he was also a tradesman. It's referred to as um, a carpenter, and uh, that could, could easily have been a, a, a very skilled person. But nevertheless, um, a working class family, if that term is in any way relevant uh, today. The situation with uh, Joseph and Mary is, and I'll just explain it very briefly, um, a little bit different from our uh, way of going about marriage today. There was uh, an engagement period of maybe 15 to 20 years. Now, I know some people get engaged for a long time, but have you heard about 15 to 20 years? What happened was when children were very, very young, their parents got them engaged. So the children wouldn't have known anything about it. This is not um, where you choose your partner. This is where your partner is chosen for you, usually by your parents. And then at a particular time, those two people entered into what was called a betrothal, one year. During the betrothal, they each still lived in their family home 
and there were no conjugal rights. And it's during this period that Mary and then Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant. Uh, that in that society was incredibly humiliating. Um, a Jewish Orthodox society, and just take a snippet from Deuteronomy 22 where it says people who were in those kinds of circumstances were to be stoned to death. That's, that's how the Jewish society looked on the circumstances that um, Mary and Joseph were in. Uh, Joseph, and in the message translation, it says, noble but chagrined. I had to look up what the word chagrin means. I didn't even know, but it means upset. <laughs> didn't know how this could be. Puzzled, angry, whatever. But noble. Decided to divorce Mary quietly. And uh, in the betrothal period, um, divorce was a possibility and a male could divorce during that period. And noble means that he was actually concerned about um, Mary and how she, was, how she was going to cope with this public humiliation. But he must have also been a bit concerned about himself. So to put it a little bit bluntly, he was going to get out quietly and let her, her wear it all. And an angel appeared to him and said, no way, mate. Um, you're in this too. Um, the baby Mary is to bear uh, is of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord God is the Father. And you and Mary are to bring him up. Now, I love the fact that God chose a very ordinary, humble family into which his son was born. I've often found consolation in the fact that um, God chooses ordinary, humble people. Some of you may know I was born into a beautiful Christian family we lived on the outskirts of Melbourne, but um, we were basically poor. My dad was a fibrous plasterer. He worked incredibly long, hard hours, but he didn't get a lot of, of money. Um, my parents were beautiful economic managers and we were always safe and whatever, but we never had much money. And I've often thought, wow, isn't it great that God chooses humble people or people from humble beginnings. You see, the, the key factor that gives us a really strong clue as to the nature of Joseph is that uh, God appeared to him in at least five dreams. At least five. And God told him some pretty hard stuff what I've already mentioned, but also at a later time, um, uh, 
Mary and Joseph and Jesus became refugees in Egypt. In other words, they moved internationally because of a physical threat to the life of Jesus through Herod. And the incredible thing is that although this was tough stuff that Joseph was hearing, he accepted it as from God and he obeyed. And I think there might be something about the humility of his beginnings and his willingness to listen to the voice of God. Now, I'm not saying that in any way God uh, is prejudiced against um, people who, who are born into favoured situations. God is no respecter of person. There are no favourites with God. He loves everybody equally. I think the point that is made scripturally is that sometimes if we rely on our own means, it makes us harder to have trust in God. You know, the passage where it says um, it's so hard um, for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. That's not because God has any problem with money per se. Money is a key resource and to be used in wise stewardship. And there are many very rich people who are very, very faithful um, disciples of God. But the point of scripture is that sometimes if we recognise that we're not really able to present too much other than the image of God in us, then we will trust him and obey. I need to say just a little word about two things that you may have wondered about as we've got to this stage. One is dreams. <laughs> um, that God appeared to Joseph in dreams. Now, I can't really tell you what I think actually happened other than to take that literally. I know that in the Middle East, and you'll notice even uh, Joseph of the coat of many colours, God revealed his future to him in a dream or in dreams. Um, so in the Middle East, actually, it's a much more accepted way of, of hearing from God than perhaps in a culture like ours. And I do recognise that God for reasons of his own wisdom, chooses to work differently in some different cultures. Um, anybody who's been into two-thirds world cultures for mission will know that, that often there are um, expressions of God in those countries that are almost the norm that we only see from time to time in our Western culture, maybe because of our unwillingness to have a strong faith that God can do anything. So it was a dream. The, the important thing is that Joseph recognised it was God. I would love us to somehow or another know God so well that we can work out what's him and what isn't. That's one of the most difficult things I find in being a Christian. What is the voice of God? In all of the clamour and all of the voices, that we hear from day to day. When is God speaking and when is he not? Joseph, by one reason or another, knew this was God and he obeyed. A humble obedience to God. 
I mentioned the fact that it's a great encouragement to me and I believe to many people that God chose a family of humble beginnings to nurture his own son. Uh, chose. I think God chooses everybody. There's nobody who is outside the love and grace of God. So there are no, as I've said, no favourites with God. But actually, the idea of choice means are we available? Are we willing? And even in tough stuff, it was an incredible test of the trust in God of both Joseph and Mary that it, it seems from the, from the narrative that basically both of them just said, okay, um, Andrew's going to unfold Mary next week and I'm just in absolute awe at her, at her um, soliloquy, her speech to God when he had revealed that she was um, pregnant and going to have a baby. Unbelievable trust in the midst of what must have been a very, very difficult circumstance from a community reputation point of view. And I would love to think that although we don't have a lot of difficulty in Australia being committed Christians, I think it's getting more and more difficult and people are not going to look um, very favourably on us if we're committed Christians. I just trust that we would be willing and able to keep following despite the fact that it's getting more difficult. What about the circumstances of the birth of Jesus? I've often wondered about this. After all, when you celebrate your birthday, do you go back and have pictures of your actual birth circumstances? Sometimes you might, but that's not what you celebrate in a birthday, is it? So why such an emphasis on the birth circumstances of Jesus? I believe that they show the kind of um, humble beginnings of Joseph and Mary and they also show very clearly what God is like and what he wants us to be like. Let me explain briefly. I doubt very much whether it was too much trouble for Mary and Joseph that they were designated to the stable. I think they probably wanted much more comfortable accommodation and needed much more comfortable accommodation. But my sense is that they were incredibly resilient people and that they made the most of a stable. And my prayer for myself and for you is that when life deals us stuff that's comfortable and good and whatever, we thank him and we accept it, but actually we don't look for it. We actually are able to be resilient and just to be obedient, trusting disciples of God no matter what. I, there's a couple of times in my life where I've been travelling and uh, I've landed in a particular place and... Uh, found that my accommodation actually wasn't booked. Um, on both occasions, I had a piece of paper that said it was confirmed. One was in Abu Dhabi, 
Can you imagine landing at about 10 o'clock at night and think you uh, booked into the hotel which right, is right at the airport and being told we have no reservation, Mr Farmer? What to do? And the hotel is full. The hotel being full reminds me, many years ago I read uh, of a Christmas pageant where they had chosen for the innkeeper a large boy who they were a little bit worried about whether he would play the part well. And when it came to the actual night, he was going okay, he opened the door, he asked what was the need of Mary and Joseph and after he found out their need, he said, I'm sorry but we are full. And then the writer of what I read said, he welled up with tears, stepped forward and said, you can have my flat. <laughs> the writer said, in one way he wrecked the Christmas pageant, in another way he made it. <laughs> the humble beginnings and the way in which I believe both Joseph and Mary handled those beginnings. Incidentally, no big deal about not having accommodation. I, I sometimes uh, worry about myself and others when we travel that it's the quality of the accommodation that makes or breaks your holiday or whatever. Now, I, I get the need for comfort or safety or whatever, but I think what God is wanting is this... Um, humble resilience that is grateful when things are good and is flexible and able to cope when things are not the way we would have them. Otherwise, I think we will grow old grumpy because things don't always work out the way we would like them to. What I'm suggesting from the manger scene is that it's actually the first very clear depiction of the nature of God through Jesus on earth and it's completely in line with his nature and the way in which he works. I believe it's the foreshadowing of the way Jesus grew up and the way in which he ministered for those three years from 30 on. And incidentally, Barclay um, believes that Jesus waited till he was about 30 so that he could be the breadwinner for his younger siblings until they were able to be okay. And then he embarked on his three-year ministry. So he was a, a, a person who was very, very committed to um, the well-being of, of, of his family. But I think we need to recognise that the nature of God is that he's gentle and gracious and kind. That um, there's, a, there's an incredible passage in, uh, in Matthew chapter 12 that I just want to read, um, and I'll read the quotation. It's, it's from Isaiah, but it's a, a, a prophecy about Jesus. Look well at my hand-picked servant. This is about Jesus. I love him so much, take such delight in him. I've placed my spirit on him. He'll decree justice to the nation, but he won't yell 
won't raise his voice, there'll be no commotion in the streets, he won't walk over anyone's feelings, won't push you into a corner. Before you know it, his justice will triumph. The mere sound of his name will signal hope, even among far-off unbelievers. That's the nature of Jesus. That's the nature of God. That's the nature of real power. I think we've got it very, very wrong in our Western society, in our idea of what is effective power and who is powerful and under what circumstances. This is turning the idea of power upside down. It's an upside down kingdom that we don't live in order to be more and more powerful, in order to be more and more comfortable or more and more influential in any political or dominating way. The nature of God is to be powerful in terms of love and grace and not to force his way. And I actually find that as a very important understanding generally of what's happening in the world. Uh, there's there's a, a passage in Romans chapter 2 um, and it's from verses 3 and 4. You didn't think, did you, that just by pointing your finger at others you would distract God from seeing all your misdoings and from coming down on your heart? Or did you think that because he's such a nice God he'd let you off the hook? Better think this one through from the beginning. God is kind but he's not soft. In kindness he takes us firmly by the hand and leads us into a radical life change. God is kind but he's not soft. Wouldn't you love that to be replicated in our lives? I would. We're not pushovers. There's a deep character that people will find if they try to push us around. We're not bleeding hearts but in actual fact it's love, grace, trust, patience, gentleness that are the key qualities, the fruit of the Spirit, that come from our, our lives. And then another passage in Romans 15. Those of us who are strong and able in the faith need to step in and lend a hand to those who falter and not just do what is most convenient for us. Strength is for service, not status. Did you get that? I think that's absolutely profound. And at the heart of the nature of God, the way he works in this world and the way he's looking for us to be in the world. Strength is for service, not status. Each one of us needs to look after the good of the people around us, asking ourselves, how can I help? I believe that the choice of God, of Joseph as the father and Mary as the mother, is indicative of the way in which God is still working in this world today. He chooses the humble. That doesn't mean that he chooses people who are not worthy or people who should not lift their heads up for who they are, but he chooses people who know that whatever happens comes from God, not from us. And that if we are willing and able, as Joseph was, to be obedient, even to follow to the point where it hurts or it's very difficult, but God has assured us that he'll never leave us and forsake us and that he'll work everything together for good 
If we could actually live in that space, it would change our life potentially and our discipleship. The term that comes to my mind for Joseph is he's the salt of the earth. He's the kind of person you would trust with your life. He's the kind of person God trusted with the nurture of his son. And God calls us to be salt and light. God calls us to be the salt of the earth. We may be able to be in positions of power and thank God that we have people who are in positions of political power and economic power who are godly. Praise God, that is really important. But the essence of power is actually love and grace, trust, patience, gentleness and therefore hope. God wants us to be salt and light wherever we go. Can I just share with you a passage that you know that um, means a lot to me? And I'm just going to um, uh, uh, instance the fact uh, from the message translation in Matthew chapter 5 where it talks about us being salt and light. But Peterson calls the salt and the light, the flavours and the colours of God. That we can be the flavours and the colours of God. Salt, because salt brings out the flavour in food. Light, because light shows where the colour is. That we should be the colours and flavours of God and those key colours and Flavours were shown, I believe, in the life of Joseph and of Mary as the nurturers of the Son of God as he grew to adulthood. They are the colours and the flavours that God is wanting to bring into our lives as we obediently trust him. Can we pray together? Father, thank you so much that you... You actually came to earth. You came in the humility of a stable and the meekness of a little child. But when Jesus, your son, grew, I thank you that he showed that same humility and that same meekness. And I pray that we, in trusting you, may be able to lift our heads up in hope to know that you will always stay with us, but that we will not, we will not push heavily or push hard, but that we will be as Jesus was with deep, deep character and commitment. World changes because we are your colours and your flavours. In Jesus' name. Amen.